Intersection is brought to you by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Learn more at touchpoint.health. How's it going, dude? It's nice to finally talk to you and meet you. Oh, dude, it's good. I, you know, I've been crazy busy. You know, the, the outside page, dude, is, it, it, you know, I honestly started that just really as a satirical, you know, sense of humor, type of comedian type of Facebook page. And um, I, I never dreamed it would have the impact and influence uh, that, that it has. But it's, what has happened is, is it's like it's like created an entire you know, company. Like it's like it's a whole other job for me. And so it's a, it's very time consuming and uh, it takes a ton of resource. But, uh, dude, I, I love it. I, I love getting to do what I do. It's just my life is it was always crazy, but it's just like overly crazy now. So welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. Offside page has struck a nerve. It is, uh, it is, it has taken over a big portion of my heart. Uh, you know, so I, I will, I will say uh, that that I love refing. I love officiating. I, I love continuing, continuing trying to perfect that. Um, but, but I also love, uh, I love being able to have a hand in what I think we need as a society, and that's a, that's a slap in the face and a wake up call on how to behave around our children. Well, I'm just going to jump in because I'm already recording, dude. So, I mean... Good. That's so, good. Uh, first question, I mean, this is what I ask everybody. What is your greatest passion? <laughs> well, you're, you're probably not going to understand this, but my greatest passion is I, I, I'm a pilot. I, I love to fly. I love to be in the air. It's, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's not a lot of human interaction. You, you're in control of your life. Uh, you're, you're at peace. You're, uh, it's very peaceful and symbolic. And, uh, you know, so my passion is honestly, it's, it's, it's flying. It's being a pilot and being up in the air and, and being a, be, having the freedom to go where I want to go when I want to go. And uh, so that, that's my passion. I don't know if that fits in with your, with your program though. No. So tell me, uh, have you, are you a commercial pilot? Tell me a little bit about you being a pilot. How did you, is that your profession, well, so, so to speak? Well, kind, kind, yes and no. So I, I went, to, I started flying when I was 14 with my grandfather. Well, even when I was younger with my grandfather, but uh, I could literally fly an airplane by myself before I could drive legally by myself. That's, that's how young I learned how to fly. And um, anyway, I, I went to school to be a commercial airline pilot. And uh, one of my mates uh, was in broadcast journalism and said, hey, um, you know, you've got, I got this bubbly personality and I need a host for my project. Mine, you know, uh, being on, on camera and hosting this, this documentary that I'm doing. And and I so I did, and I and I loved it, and I loved the, uh, the all the aspects of being in television production. So I switched my major, and I was running out of money. Like being a pilot's very expensive when you don't when you, when you don't have a job, and so I was running out of money, and um, I decided, you know what, I, I think I would rather do this, and so I got into TV and uh, switched my major, 
And uh, so that that's kind of that's otherwise I would probably be flying uh, commercial airlines all across the country, uh, the world at this point in my life. Uh, but instead, I got into television. Now I, I've got to do some great things in TV. I, uh, you know, I've, I've I've produced for ESPN, for ABC, for uh, Fox Sports. Um, I've got to you know I've got to do some really cool stuff. But it leads me back to my original statement: is is my true happiness and passion, uh, you know, as far as uh, doing something is, is definitely flying. How did you tell me a little bit about your broadcast production career? We both kind of come from a similar background as well. I was in television production. I worked on the local level, then on the national level, and loved it. Single guy, traveled the world, and then broke away and started my own business. Tell me about your broadcast career a little bit and what what were some of the experiences that you enjoyed about it, and where did it take you? Well, you know, much like roughing, it's it's very much teamwork oriented. Like being an entrepreneur now, it it looks glamorous, and you know, you travel a lot, and and you know, the the perception is that you make a ton of money, and and you're constantly in these five star hotels, you know. But what you don't see is is you don't see. Um, you know the, the loneliness of being an entrepreneur. You're, you're not you're not always around people. You're you're delayed at airports. Sometimes your air, your hotel room has bugs in the bed. Uh, even the nice you know high uh, high star hotels. And so um, so it, it can be a lonely world. But but what I missed about TV and and, and the production side of, uh, of of my early profession is is that camaraderie, that high pressure, that stress. You know, some of my biggest wins, I was the co-producer uh, the year that Carrie Underwood won American Idol. I was the co-producer to the finale live shot um, out of Carrie Underwood's hometown. Uh, I've, uh, I've co-produced uh, the 2002 uh, national championship uh, game between uh, football game between uh, USC and OU in Miami, Florida. Uh, I've, done, uh, I've done numerous programs for ESPN and uh, for Fox Sports, and, you know, so I'm, I, I, miss, I miss the intensity and the high-pressure uh, team aspect of, of being in television. Uh, it, it's, it's not, it, it, there's such a camaraderie there. Now, uh, is it always, you know, uh, unicorns and rainbows? No, um, but um, it definitely was, uh, you know, like you said, you get to travel the world, you get to do an experience amazing things you get you get you get access to things that most normal people don't so it's, it's a cool field it's a cool field so how did through that experience how did you keep your passion alive with flying did do you own a plane or a series of planes talk, talk a little bit about that yeah yeah so um so i uh, my grandfather had several airplanes and so i'd I'll, I'll always flew uh those and uh and then you know he he's no longer with us and so I knew at some point I would buy my own airplane, and and I did. And uh, what'd you buy? So I, uh, uh, you cut out on me. I think you said, "What did you?" Hyper uh, Arrow is what I what I have. So. Gotcha. Well, the reason why I ask is, um, when I was in broadcast television, I was the one of the um, main um, helicopter uh, camera operators for Belo Corporation, which. Uh, owned a bunch of television stations, so I'd run around the country operating FLIR systems and uh, West Cam systems. And so I've 
gotten so used to flying in a helicopter, I love flying. And so now, later on in life as an entrepreneur and business owner, um, I realize that my, like you said, my time is valuable too. So I'm working on my private license so that I can go, so I can buy a plane so that I can be somewhere in two hours as opposed to eight hours, you know? So Dude, I, you're going to, you're going you're gonna to love it. And you know what? I, I haven't heard the word below in forever. That was a, they were a major broadcast conglomerate uh, back whenever I was in, in news and television with stations in Dallas and Tulsa and I, and I think Oklahoma City and yep. all over the country. So, wow, that's, uh, I hadn't heard that name in, in forever. Good for you, though, on the, uh, on the private pilot stuff, man. and you're going to love it. You know, that's, for, for, as far as my refing is concerned, like, I can literally take games other people can't because I can, I can be there. I can, I can literally be there. You know, a four-hour game, uh, four hour, a game that's four hours away, I can literally be there in an hour and a half, you know? Yep. Well, it's so funny. So let's transition real quick. I mean, you're a pilot. You're a storyteller. You're all these things. Where did offsides come from? What is the background to the idea of calling people out for doing crazy things during sporting events, children's and teen sporting events? You know, somebody was going to have to do something, right? Um, so as a referee, you know, I can't really say a lot. So you're a referee, uh, no, too. No, so you started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got plenty of time, dude. I got plenty of time. So, yeah, I got into refing about 14 years ago. I really I really jacked my knee up really bad. I have a titanium left knee. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I couldn't play soccer, so I decided to become a referee because I love the sport. I love the game. I love the camaraderie of team. And, uh, and I just wanted to be a part of it still. So I got into it uh, at, an, at a beginner's intermediate level. Um, and I quickly realized that I have a I have a strong desire and love to be a great referee and to to, to pursue that. And so I, I did throughout the years. And um, but but I also learned that there is a very toxic societal problem with our culture and how they behave at youth sporting events. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I had started the offside page. Just honestly. Like I said earlier, you can't really say anything when you're an official of any sport. You can't say much to people. But you can when you're not in uniform and you can on Facebook, right? So I started this Facebook page and I started making fun of people and some of the things that I would hear as an official. And I would point out how wrong and inaccurate and belligerent people were. And, you know, it's really kind of a comedy-driven type site. And uh, somebody sent me a video of a, of a lady kicking a soccer ball at a youth referee. And I had about four or 5,000 people following, not a big following at that point. And uh, this lady kicks this ball at a, at a referee in Arkansas. I, got, I get the video, and it just pissed me off. You know, I was just like, you know, damn it. Everyone talks about, you know, zero tolerance, and everyone talks about referee abuse and how they don't like it, but no one's doing anything about it. And I'm honestly, I'm sick of it. And so, you know, I'm a guy that I, I can make things happen. I'm an action-oriented guy. And so I posted that video on the offside page, which, by the way, like I said, I had four or 5,000 people following and I said, you know what, this is the crap that referees have to deal with every single day, especially our young referees. Um, if you capture referee abuse like this and you send me the video and I post it on this Facebook page, I'm going to give you $100. Well, Bobby, what happened is that message and that video went viral. And two and a half, three weeks later, I had a call from the New York Times, and they had been following my page. I, I had no idea. And they had been following my page, and they loved the message. Uh, and they decided to do a, a complete cover story 
uh, on the New York Times. So they showed up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, they followed me for a couple of days, and then a couple of months later, this piece went out, and dude, the entire page, uh, my reputation, my, everything blew up, like just completely. Like it literally positioned me as like this expert, you know, high level best referee in the world, which in reality, I'm a good referee, but, you know, it's just funny how things happen and, and the perception, just because you're behind a, an initiative or a, uh, or a popular, you know, page or whatever it is. So, yeah, so everything just kind of blew up from, from, from then. So what was your original intent with Offsides? Was it just to be comedy or was it just your place to like just unload when you get home and be like, dude, that really sucked today. I mean, dadgummit, yeah, it, I, I've got to blow some steam here. Yeah, it was really honestly that. It, it wasn't, you know, the original content piece for Offside was uh, was really just a place to where I would watch sports and then just make comments, uh, radical comments, about how people behaved at those sporting events. It had I had no real intention for it to have legs, <laughs> Isn't that the way it always is, though? It, it is. So let's talk a little bit about culture. Here's Here are you, an individual that doesn't have a lot of time, but you make choices on the things that you engage with. What drew you outside of just you couldn't be an athlete anymore? A lot of ex-athletes will just go be coaches, or they'll work with you, do something, but you chose to be a referee. What why? What made you say, you know what, I, I want to do that? You know, I, I'm I'm drawn to pressure, and I'm drawn to right or wrong, and I'm drawn to um, intensity. And so I, I think why I was drawn to, to being a referee is all that combined. Um, you know, it's like, you know, I do a lot of public speaking, and, and I'm at my best when I have a lot of watching me, and I can't mess up. That's when I perform at my best. Same thing with flying. You either fly the airplane properly or you die. And, and, and so refing is just another arm of that. It's, it's you're, you're one of very few people that have the gonads, the, the, the braveness, the, the audacity, so to speak, to step into the center of a field in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people and make decisions that most people only make because they're comfortable and they don't have the pressure of right or wrong. And they just, and really their decisions are, their decisions are just really opinions. And, and so I like the pressure of being that guy that can have a very unbiased opinion, uh, excuse me, decision and, and, and do what the game needs in order for the game to be what it's supposed to be, which is a fair, safe, build of competition so an outcome can be decided between who's the best in that specific sport. So long story short, I, I've always been drawn to the pressure of, of success or failure and, and with high consequences. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, and as you talk through that, uh, one of the things that I'm thinking through is – when was the first time that you noticed in that early stage of your refing quote unquote career that people were offsides? Is there a moment that you're like, well, huh, this isn't, yeah. that's not right? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's no, it's it was probably my second year refing, and I was doing a a U10 girls game at a at a local tournament, and the the parents were getting sideways with me. They were getting sideways with sideways with each other. The coaches were getting sideways with each other, and it just it was just chaos. And I wasn't. I mean, let's be honest. I was a second year ref. I you know I was just an average ref. There was really nothing. I was just blowing a whistle, really. And I, re- I remember being in the game, and um, I, I remember the kids being affected by the actions of the so-called adults uh, on the sideline. And I thought, man, I, I have to do, I have to do something, I have to say something. So I went over to the coaches and I said, hey, coaches, I, if I hear any more cussing, if I hear any more yelling at each other, I'm blowing the whistle three times and I'm walking away. And one of the coaches like jumped my ass, like like. I don't remember exactly what they said to what what uh, she said to me, but I said, you know what? One more comment, and this game is over. I walked toward the center of the pitch, and um, blow the whistle. The game starts to go back on, and I hear someone say something, like, you know, with the with the f word, and I, you know what? I just I blew the whistle three times. I said, hey girls, sorry, uh, your parents aren't wanting to play soccer today. They're wanting to do something else, and so I'm gonna we're we're, we're done here. And I walked off the pitch. Wow. What was – let's talk about that situation. I, I've i never witnessed an ump or a ref walk out. First, what was the reaction of the people at at that game, at that moment? Oh, you would have thought I was Satan. I mean, I got booed. I got called every name in the book. Um, I got told my ego was too big. I got, I got told that I didn't have a backbone. I mean, the things that were said to me – uh, as I was leaving, I was like, is this real life? Like, you guys had your chance. First first and foremost, you know, I want to make sure everybody knows, it, it is not your right to get to watch your kids play soccer. Just because you paid that registration fee or that tournament fee, you don't have a right to watch your kids play. You have a privilege. It is a privilege to watch your kids play. So, you know, if you don't act a certain way, that privilege is revoked or the referees or the officials, whatever sport it is, they have the right to walk away. And so I, I just remember walking off thinking this is absolutely nuts that these people are acting like this. Like I was the bad guy for being the one that said, you know what, you guys are acting like children. I'm done. I was the bad guy now. What was the experience for the kids that were taking part? What would – what were their reactions as that was unfolding? You know, if I remember, remember correctly, I think they were trying to just play soccer. I think every all the little kids knew that something was going on that wasn't normal. Um, it's I, I wouldn't think that their their games were always like that. I would hope not. Uh, but I could tell that the kids were starting to pay atten- more attention to the sidelines than they were trying to score a goal. And when you see little kids do that, uh, then then you know as a as just as a decent person, you have to do something, and I did. What about afterwards, after you left? I mean, was there repercussions the next hour, the next day, or, you know, did the league call you and say, hey, why did you do this? Uh, what was the quote-unquote fallout, if there was a fallout? So so there wasn't. Uh, but what's funny is now, now the coaches who were going fisticuffs with each other practically have now joined forces – and it was a tournament game, so they went to the tournament director's tent, and now they're now they're a team. 
Now the referee is, you know, he, he, he canceled our game. He made us forfeit. Now our kids don't get to play, you know, wah, wah, wah type thing. And, then, of course, I had already told the tournament officials. I said, hey, listen, I had a game. I, I walked away. I mean, they were fairly close. The tent was fairly close to that game. And I said, uh, I blew the whistle three times. I abandoned the game. I told them what happened. And they said, perfect, great. We'll, uh, we'll take care of it. So, you know, it was great to have a tournament that, uh, that had the officials back. And I'm sure they listened to the coaches and, you know, said, well, you know, hey, sorry. We, we understand that you're angry, but, you know, it is what it is. And uh, so there was no fallout. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was just a continuation of what I experienced in the game with the coaches. So from that point on, what was the turning point that said, you know, I'm going to create this little Facebook page. Was there an event that happened that just said, that made you sit up one night like, all right, I'm going to do it. It's time. Well, no, because no, that was years and years. I mean, that was literally over a decade ago. So it wasn't, it wasn't that moment. But that's whenever I started to realize that this, you know, that people and their actions on the side of a, of a, of a field of competition, no matter what sport it is, were um, insane. But it, it was the video. It was the video that I got from uh, my buddy in, in Arkansas. Excuse me, in Arkansas, that uh, of of the referee. Uh, excuse me, of the lady kicking the ball at the referee. Uh, the first video that I posted on the page. That that was that was that was ultimately the turning point to making offside what it is today. That that's whenever I kind of took my own consultation. You know, when I when I speak at conferences or to companies, uh, and I tell them sometimes you have to you have to be uncomfortable to be bold and sometimes you have to be bold to be influential and be influential. You have to, you have to say and do things that other people won't say or do. And so I took my own advice and, and, and that's whenever I put my own money on the line, uh, I kind of changed the, the tactical approach to offside. I stopped being so uh, comedian, uh, comical driven and, and more focused on the way parents behave. And then the, and then the whole, the, the whole intent changed. Now the page was devoted to, shaming people who were captured, shaming them and getting them to understand how ridiculous and how toxic they make sporting events by their actions, uh, by their vulgarities, uh, by, by living vicariously through their kids, um, all that kind of good stuff. So that, that's when the, the, the page and its intent truly changed. What was it like to put a bounty out on people? I mean, that's a bold move. Like, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you give me something and I post it. I mean, that's bold. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a marketing guy, and uh, so I knew I had to make a bold statement. I knew I had to do something that other people weren't wouldn't do in order for it to have any impact at all. You 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 kind of just have to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable to the moment, and and uh, so that's that's what I did. Uh, you know, to, to to answer your question, uh, you know, it's 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 not always the most popular thing. I mean, I've, I've been hammered. I've, I've had my own, uh, my own integrity questioned. Um, I, I've been called a hypocrite, uh, because I, you know, I, I, I tell people, Hey, positive sportsmanship is what we should be after. And they're like, well, you know, but yet, yet you're out here shaming people, embarrassing people. And I'm like, well, but they, they don't, they don't have, I mean, they have a choice. They don't have to act like that. Uh, so that's always my answer. And, uh, so, but but to be honest, it's just a, it's just a marketing approach. It's a marketing for, approach to make sure that the the page and its goals and its intent uh, are taken serious. Um, and uh, and fortunately for me, it's worked. So tell me, you're a dad, right? I am. You have a son, right? I've seen I've found pictures of you flying with your son, and that's 
is he in youth sports? So I have a son and a daughter. Okay. Uh, my boy is 15. My daughter's uh, 14. Yes, they're in youth sports, and they're both uh, soccer officials as well. And uh, so, yeah, this, this is uh, – I, I see more I, – I, when they're officials, when, when they're out officiating, that's when I, that's when I see – you know, because let's be honest, when I, when I officiate, I, I don't I – don't, I'm very confident in my ability and my words and my actions and in my understanding of the laws of the game. But, you know, this initiative isn't for a ref like me. It's, it's for these kids. It's for these young, inexperienced kids or young, inexperienced adults that don't have as much understanding or experience. Those are the ones that have the most trouble, uh, you know, and, and they're doing the games that are the most difficult to deal with. Right. Because, you know, I hate to tell you this, but I can go do a college game all day long. You put me on a U14, all hell's going to break loose. Because it's the World Cup to everybody. To all those parents, that U14 game is the World Cup. What is it like to be a parent for your son or daughter at a U-sport event, sitting in the stands and watching this unfold in front of you as opposed to the ref? Have your, through this experience, has your eyes been just totally opened up and your ears? And you, do you see things differently now? Well, I, you know, first off, you sit on pins and needles because I, I've watched grown men and women try to antagonize my daughter or my son. I see them trying to antagonize other people's children that are out there refing. And, and so it's very hard to keep your mouth shut. It's very hard not, and I, and, and I don't always do this, but it's very hard not to walk up to a dad and go, hey, I didn't scream at your boy whenever he missed the uh, the shot, you know, five minutes ago. I don't want you screaming at my kid who's wearing the uniform out there, uh, the referee uniform. Are we on the same page? Yeah. You know, but 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 honestly, it takes. Unfortunately, it takes an adult treating another adult like a child, for that adult to really become logical in in his or her thinking. Because honestly, the few times that I've said that and done that. They've always apologized. They've always taken a step back. But it's unfortunate that you have to go to that extent in order to get someone to think logically. But that's what you do. I wonder, being involved with college athletics, I, I work for, as a undergraduate and graduate student, for Clemson football and basketball and uh, baseball. So I travel with them a good bit. was very engaged in the game. You know, I grew up in sports. But one of the things that's fascinating to me is a lot of conversation around college football and some baseball, the decline in youth sports engagement moving into the college ranks. And some would say it's, you know, the helmets with football and all the uh, concussion protocols now and worrying about getting hurt. Do you think also there is a decline in youth sports as it relates just to the nastiness that's happening on you know, in the youth sports arena with parents just being ugly. Do you think that's a contrib- I do. Talk, what, what are Absolutely. your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I, and I think that's a great question. And, and, and here, here's the point to that question is I do see a lot of very talented athletes um, that don't want to play at a high level once they get out of high school because they've had so much pressure and so much of their young athletic lives devoted to practice to one-on-one coaching, to personal training, to weightlifting, to side sports to help benefit and, and get better at the main sport, 
to traveling teams every single weekend, every single week, multiple games. And and so it's like it's like treating our young our young athletes like like they're almost these racehorses. And we've got to get them. They've got to be amazing. They've got to be great. And we've got to put them in as many races as possible because we want them to win the triple crown. And we want to be able to say we're the mom and the dad of the triple crown winner. And so when these kids get up to age and they're out of the house and they're able to make their own decisions, and they could be riding on a scholarship, they could be playing club. Uh, excuse me, a collegiate level ball they don't want to you know why because they want that freedom they 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 don't want the pressure they they've done it all and and they they just want to live and i think that's what us as parents we forget as as these kids are developing and as they're young is is we have to make sports about what it's supposed to be about and that's that's fun that's development that's learning how to have uh winning with a team losing with a team positive sportsmanship, losing with dignity, winning with grace. You know, but we don't. Uh, to, to us, as, as most people, it's we want to win at all costs, and we want to win now, and we don't care how much money it costs. And that's, that's the wrong mindset. So, yeah, I don't blame these guys, and I, and I do. I see, I see a lot of young athletes who have a ton of talent walk away. You know why? Because for the first time in their lives, they can Hmm. That's a powerful thought. And, you know, I am a parent to an eight-year-old daughter and twin boys that are two and a half. And I grew up with all my friends being in collegiate sports. A lot of my buddies played for D1 schools, whether baseball, basketball, football, and their families didn't really push them. They just had natural talent. And I was the I was the marketing person. I was a photographer, the writer, you know, all those things. But I have two boys that have the natural sport ability. And so me and my buddies in this arena that have had experience in college athletics, whether on the field or supporting the team, have serious questions about do we want to push our kids into that? Or do we want them to self select? And that don't it is such a tough balance, and where to find the balance of pushing and not pushing. It w- it, what are your thoughts there on how to play that game and support our children that are interested in sports, but at the same time, don't be fanatical and helicopterish? Where where's that balance now? Well, I, I think I think we have to. Forget. It's funny you ask that question. I'm I'm literally driving. Uh, I'm literally literally driving back from a um, a conversation that I had with three nine and 10 year old kids um they're they're from arkansas and i went to go speak to their class this morning and um i i I was asking them i said hey listen uh what's the worst thing that uh that happens to you as as a player and all their answers were i hate it when my parents yell at me during a game and and i so i told those i told i told those kids i said listen you have a voice I know you're only nine. I know you're only 10, whatever the age is, but you have a voice. And I think us, and and listen, this happened for me as well. My my kids told me um, when they first started playing, I was one of those parents that I would yell. Said, hey, dad, we hate it when you yell. Hate it. And so I listened. So I told those kids today, I said, you don't have to be disrespectful to your parents. 
but tell them how you feel. So I, I would say the answer to that question is we have to, as parents, understand that our children have a voice. Yes, we're supposed to guide them. Yes, we're supposed to help them make the best decisions possible that they're not probably equipped to make yet, but they still have a voice. And if we'll just ask the question, hey, Zoe, which sport do you like? Because I see you really excelling in soccer, but I see you having the most fun in volleyball. And guess what? They're going to give you the honest truth. Yep. And then you take that information and you dissect it. It's tough. It's it's one of those things where learning to be parents when you haven't really, especially in this age of digital and social media where it's very competitive and image and those related issues, balancing performance on the field and then the recruitment process that kids have to go through if they have an opportunity to play at the collegiate level and the pressures associated with that. It's, it's a tough arena to be in right now as a kid, isn't it? Well, hey, just think about this. How many kids play a sport because their mom or dad played that sport? Ah, and yeah. And so mom or dad, when I, you know, mom or dad, when the kid got seven or eight, hey, I'm going to sign you up for football. Dad played football. All right, so we're signing you up for football. The kid's like, oh, uh, okay. How many kids do you think are out there right now playing a sport? They really don't give a crap. But they're, but they're afraid to tell their mom or dad they don't want to play because they don't want that resentment. They don't want that. Uh, they don't want to disappoint their parents. And, you know, think about that. There's a lot of kids out there playing that sport right now that would rather be in front of a TV playing video games. Now, I know that's a real societal conversation and debate right now where the kids should be outside, uh, you know, playing, you know, on their bikes and making friends with the neighborhood kids. Okay, that that's just no longer as prevalent as it was in the 80s and 90s. It's just not. It's not as real. It's not as big of a deal, okay? The kids today, like, I, I, it, took, it took me some time to get this. My boy can make money playing video games. Yeah, and you know why? Because he's amazing at it, and I and so now I watch him, and I'm like, holy crap! For years I tried to keep him away from that, but in reality, he's really good. And if he really wanted to, he could probably in his 20s and early 30s make a lot of money playing video games. Yeah. So I just think we have to adapt to whatever the moment is. We have to be adult enough and unbiased enough just listen to our kids like watch them observe them and then analyze what they're doing and what they're excelling in and what honestly makes them happy and i'm not saying give them everything that they want and if they're not happy you know tell them to get out you know i'm not saying that i'm just saying that today's society and the world that we live in isn't like it was when we were growing up as kids where do you think offsides is going to go <laughs> well, let me tell you, when I started, I certainly didn't think it'd be to what it is today. Um, Which is? You know, I, I, uh, you know I, I will tell you this. I would love to give you some inside information of how, how big this offside page could potentially be, but I'm just not at liberty to say because of uh, contractual obligations and, and stuff like that. But, but I will say... The offside page is much bigger and influential than I ever dreamed it would be, uh, and, and I think I think it has the opportunity to really help 
shaped the fabric of how people behave at sporting events for a long time to come in a very big way. Um, I just, uh, I just certain things have to unfold and certain things have to happen. But I, I think, uh, I think the opportunity and potential is there. So then, what is your greatest passion? Well, <laughs> you're taking me back to the beginning, aren't you? Yes, um, I am. You, That's what I yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, I get it. I, I, I know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, no, I. I, I'm still going to answer it's flying, but but I have grown this this offside page has struck a nerve. It is uh, it is it has taken over a big portion of my heart, uh, you know. So I, I will I will say uh, that that I love refing, I love officiating, I, I love continuing continuing trying to perfect that. Um, but but I also love uh, I love being able to have a hand in what I think we need as a society and that's a, that's a slap in the face and a wake-up call on how to behave around our children and how to allow our children to be just that uh, and, and let them let them let them play sports in the most purest of environments in which sports was intended so they can get the biggest bang out of sports which is all those things that I mentioned before is being okay with making a mistake getting better from a mistake getting knocked down and getting back up you know, shaking shaking somebody else's hand that just kicked your ass. Uh, you know, having a coach, having teammates, all those things. Uh, ultimately, I think that's what the kids. That, that's when the kids truly excel in sports is when they get that all that opportunity. If we could just take the parents out of the picture, they would get that. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.